Greetings, and welcome to the 80 Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. So we have uh, Joe Garth today with us, and uh, Joe is an old friend. We were just discussing that uh, we kind of met in real life a couple of years ago at GDC, and since then, so many things happened. It's just crazy. Yeah. It feels like the world changed it turned itself inside out and now we are <laughs> catching up and discussing another huge announcement which is unreal engine 5. i need to teach myself to say unreal engine 5 because i yeah i just keep saying unreal engine 4 which is old news now yeah it's so ingrained ue4 ue4 like <laughs> continually yeah. totally anyway joe so to kind of give you a Give us a little intro. What have you been doing over the last couple of years? You have so much stuff. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So I mean, I, I guess two years ago when we first met, it was GDC. I think it was 2019 GDC. Yeah. And I was at that point, I was freelancing for Quixel, and yeah. we just put out the Rebirth stuff that year. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very big monumental like cgi they did for yeah with epic mm -hmm. so so basically since so at that point i had brushify already but it was really just like a sort of twinkle in my eye kind of thing that like maybe i was hoping it would take off and become some sort of you know something i could grow into a business um but you know it wasn't there yet it wasn't that at that point yet where i could you know quit my well i i you know where i could actually quit the day job kind of thing um so i was i was still you know taking that freelance gig but um after rebirth i basically made the decision that i was going to part ways with quicksol and mm -hmm. that i was going to just double down and go full time on brushify and just pour everything into it uh and i kind of made that decision because i was like 27 28 at the time and thought that you know this was like if i if i do it now there's no better time in my life to do this like to take that risk so yeah that was basically the the thought process behind doing that cool so how did it work out I, pretty good. I remember <laughs> that you were doing pretty well even during the time when you were freelancing with Quixel, you already had Brushify and it was already successful. Yeah, I mean, it was doing okay. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is that what I realized was that to in order to get out enough quantity of content, enough packs, in order to also spend the time on the back end and the kind of the things that you don't usually see, which is like quality control, and you know improving the shaders and making sure things are compatible with the engine um all of that stuff just takes so much time and you know like things for instance like like this rvt implementation i just finished was like you know it's 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 done by 
epic, right? So you've got certain constraints you have to work around. And but but I I do believe that there's an optimum way of sort of putting those shaders into the engine and making sure that everything works from the user standpoint. So that you know from their their standpoint, it's basically just ticking a box in the editor. And then suddenly mm -hmm. this thing that's that's a feature of the engine, but otherwise would take them possibly days, weeks to implement themselves, it, it suddenly becomes available in just one tick box. So it was like all of those little features like that um, that basically I didn't really have the time back then to work on. Uh, but now I'm, you know, I've been full time on this for a couple of years. It's basically been a possibility to to get into those details. Do you do you still do you have like a small company already, like a team, or are you just single dev? Still just single dev, yeah. I'm still, you know, I'm still sort of like in this thing where, you know, I I'm thinking about how I can expand this, um, but for from a quality standpoint, I feel like I don't want to kind of water it down too much. So I'm if I'm going to hire anybody in the future, it's going to be very careful picks. Makes sense. Anyway, Joe, so you've been working a lot with Unreal and you've been doing those incredible demos. I think we covered a couple of them on 80 level. Now, I know that you've been playing around, like as I think majority of our readers, you've been playing around with Unreal Engine 5. So what are your, it's a, it's a corny question, but still, what are your first impressions? Like, what do you think about it? I mean, I guess this has been like a really strange sort of two days for everybody, this last you know day or so of it coming out, you know, having this. So I guess I, I have to kind of walk through the story of it, you know, because okay. I think for everybody, maybe not, you know, I certainly didn't expect the live stream to suddenly launch the early access. I actually sure. thought that they would spend a bit more you know, that it would take a bit more time for us to actually get our hands on the thing. And that maybe this would be just that they would be showing off some sort of cinematic or, you know, showing the tech, another tech demo, uh, something like that. But, you know, there they go. They, they show the epic tech demo. And then at the end of the live stream, they're like, guys, go and download it. And it's all available. And even the source code is available on GitHub already. And everybody's just freaking out. There's this huge social media just everyone you know everything discord facebook art station bing 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 all the comments and you know and th and this is basically what you know what happens when you have basically a pandemic where people are kind of half stuck inside <laughs> and and they're all you know going to be going crazy about this thing anyway so yeah i mean there's definitely been like a weird kind of it's almost like an atmosphere about the launch, which has been kind of interesting to see. Um, but yeah, and then, yeah, and so so then it's like you're kind of shocked by this thing, but you then still have to kind of like gather yourself together and bother to actually, you know, obviously start immediately downloading the tool. I was, I think, one of the first people downloading it, trying to get it on my system and stuff. And then you're introduced to this new UI. And yeah, so I'll, I'll walk through kind of step by step all the different things that you know i i think all the different topics everybody wants to hear about i want to hear about the new ui i want to hear about lumen i want to hear about nanite um and of course a million other things but you know initial impressions user interface i think they've done an absolutely brilliant job um 
in some ways they've they've rolled back some of the changes that I thought were questionable changes that they've been making since like 4.24 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Things like painting and sculpting, they were kind of playing around with these like top bars and sort of almost like Photoshop style Adobe type um, interface. And they've reverted all of that now. And they've gone with something that's more like the version 4.2 from a couple of years ago. And it's a bit more clean and and just everything's been streamlined. They've got these create, you know, this create menu instead of having its own little place actors window and, and things like that, that just basically they've taken the essence of UE4, but they've managed to distill down what was good about it and keep the layout in the same place so people don't have to relearn the tool. But then they've also managed to clean it up and sort of hone it. So I really do think they've they've done a pretty legendary job of design, designing the interface. And obviously there are still some kinks in the armor here and there. Um, but in general, I think like they're in a really solid position now. So that's actually a great introduction. So I've been watching their kind of the stream and I thought at the beginning, wow, this is like the, the stream for environment artists. Because it was mostly about like hmm. all, all the stuff environment art, especially in the first half, right? So let's kind of touch on like the, the the main points that we think are interesting. So, and I think the the big one is nanite. That's kind of like their main show. So, hmm. did you play around with it? Did you experience it? How was it? Did you like it? I mean, already basically. Going in, I, I've basically already taken, you know, the first thing I did, <laughs> to be honest, was check that my projects, my own projects, all the Brushify stuff, check that it all still works. And that was the first thing uh -huh. I did was open up all my own projects, make sure they all work. And, you know, that's, that's you know, going going in going to be the, the main thing that, you know, quite a lot of people who are, you know, sellers on Marketplace or have existing games or projects, they're going to check their own things are all working. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, luckily, yeah, I didn't, I, you know, open up without a hitch. Don't have to worry about, you know, my shaders not working. Don't have to worry about things, you know, breaking really too much. Um, so, I, you know, that's, that's a huge relief. And, um, and then, you know, from, from a sort of like nanite standpoint, there's basically like, you know, what, what I basically did was take from the new Quixel bridge integration just take some absolutely insanely high poly meshes, throw them into the uh, the basic Unreal Engine scene, and then just start, you know, enable Nanite on them and then start copy and pasting. And you can literally get away with hundreds of millions of polygons in a scene now. There really isn't much of a limit there. Um, and and the fact that, and, and this is the thing that struck me about the way they implemented Nanite as well, is, and this is the great thing about it, it's that existing assets can be converted to Nanite with just one tick box in the static mesh editor. So there's no need to, and this was another fear I had about this, was that maybe we'd all need to re-import all of our meshes now. Maybe there would be this huge, long um, you know, re-importing process that would take hours of, hours of man hours away from you, and that everything would need kind of reconstructing for Unreal Engine 5. But no, it's it's literally just a tick box. It converts whatever uh, static mesh you had before, converts that into Nanite. You even uh, 
get some disk space freed up by it, I think, because it's mm -hmm. ditching all these LODs and things that aren't needed anymore. So, yeah, I mean, they definitely implemented it in the best possible way uh, from my perspective uh, for the end user. And um, just and maybe somebody doesn't know Brushify. So mostly it's environments. It's like a, a bunch of packs that help you build very big, hmm. large uh, worlds. And uh, with the stuff that you're doing, you're obviously been playing uh, with lighting and maybe you've been trying to play around with this sky atmosphere system, which is hmm. kind of crazy for me <laughs> because that's <clears throat> because I, I've been kind of following CGI since I was in probably high school or even like uh, before that. And uh, those kind of simulations, you would only see them somewhere at like Seagraph and, and some mm. crazy, you know, mm. and I would never think that something like that would be done in real time. And you can go and like art yeah. direct the whole thing and play around with the volumetric clouds in, in engine. It's it's getting ridiculously easy. Um, there's a there's also a plugin. Um, well, there are a couple of really great Sky plugins on the marketplace that I, yeah. I would recommend. Uh, one of them is from Everett Gunther, which is called Ultra Dynamic Sky, and that's mm -hmm. just basically a twenty four seven Sky system that taps into the volumetric clouds, and it just makes setting up lighting stupidly easy. Um, the other one is from Wouter Wainance, and his is called Hemisphere Skies, which is also a great product because, um, especially for cinematics, because it actually lets you import real video captures of skies, of real skies. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and, and everything's physically based, and, and he's actually used like um, uh, light meters in order to record the, the actual... Um, light values so the actual proper sun looks values are in there um so i mean there the options for actually lighting in ue4 now are just so it, it just became so easy uh to come up with convincing daylighting um and you know obviously i've i've been playing around with uh with lumen as well and uh yeah i'm also just super imp impressed um you know, obviously, I can I can keep going on about how impressed I am with all the stuff, but you know, obviously, there are, you know, there are kinks to the armor. Like it's still a preview build. There are still going to be bugs. There are still going to be glitches. Some things just won't work. Sometimes you'll get crashes. But I think the great thing with this preview build is you can really see where it's going. You can see this direction that they're taking, and I think it's a really strong direction. Um, so, I mean, just, just even just in terms of the UI, you can see that they know what they're doing. They've spent time honing it and understanding which parts of the old UI worked and, and what they really need to do to, to make this into something that's, that's really special. I wonder if they were kind of gathering the stats and kind of checking where people are going and what was the usual mm -hmm. workflow and all that kind of like they do on any website or with like a large mm -hmm. uh, volume. I thought that like maybe they were experimenting quite a bit with the last few releases. So it's mm -hmm. like since 4.24, they've really been changing the, the UI quite a lot here and there. And really, you know, they like they moved this, uh, there was always a this modes tab, which was where you could, you know, pick from like landscapes, foliage, like you could choose which, which uh, section you go in. 
Uh, and you know, then they moved that into like a, uh, so they moved it from like a panel to like a tab. And then, you know, now it's moved to basically like a bar at the top, but it's like, they've just kind of like, they were definitely playing around with it and experimenting with it and not knowing quite where to put it. Uh, but now I think they've, they've settled on a really good solution. I see. Yeah. I mean, the interface changed the technology that they kind of put into the whole thing is crazy. And uh, when I was watching this whole thing and uh, like volumetric clouds and the time of day, and then they mentioned that the whole scene was fully dynamic. <laughs> um, I was kind of, I, I don't, I keep saying crazy, but it, it is, especially if you're kind of in this industry and you know how other games have been made. Mm. And I, um, I remember talking with the guys who were building uh, Last of Us, like the Last of Us Part Two. And it's uh, an, an incredibly impressive game visually. It it, it looks like, a, I mean, very realistic. And a lot of that is done mostly with lighting, right? Mm -hmm. The lighting is like 90% realism. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a 101. But all of the like all of the stuff that they were doing at Naughty Dog, that was mostly baked. Like everything was mostly baked. Mm. Well, they actually use they they do all their level designing in in Maya. Uh, and yeah. it's interesting as well because, like what you said about the the lighting, if you look at this the actual geometry in the Last of Us games, a lot of it's like like if you go up to a rock, like it's a really sort of it's almost stylized, like it's quite smooth usually, and and it looks really good, but it's but it's not a real rock. Like they're not using like photogrammetry quite a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know they're not they're not going the kind of quicksal route where you've got all of this detail this insane realistic detail the way that like games like the last of us kind of get by is they they have this kind of realistic lighting but they have a sort of it's a kind of i mean i guess the word gamey it's kind of not a, not the best word to use but like a sort of there is a stylization to the the art that makes it work well for games and it's kind yeah, of I... playing towards the you know what the renderer is capable of or has been capable of until yeah. now Really? Yeah, I think it's a with Naughty Dog. It's a, they they have this whole philosophy where that if the stuff says like if you go to like a parking lot and mm. you want to have like a one hundred percent realistic parking lot, it's just gonna look you know kind of boring. Yeah, this is gonna be. I mean, if it's in like golden hour and probably <laughs> then maybe you can do like a couple of shots and if if you're a photographer, mm. but if if it's like daytime it's just like a boring thing so their idea is that well we're going to argument reality a little bit and the the stuff that you're saying that it's not really realistic mm. I, I i agree 100 it's more like it's um like a little bit of a stylized reality something it's, it's like really a con almost like concept art or yeah, yeah something yeah. like that yeah. It, it, like it like they've like they took the imagination of an artist and then implemented it yeah, which is yeah, great but 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 then again you know that but this is the thing it's like i i, I think it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how games evolve because it's almost like that last of us art style it's sort of like a product of its time you know and it'll be interesting to see what happens now we've got something like nanite where we can and, and you know and lumen where we can basically throw hundreds of millions of polygons into a scene and with you know very little impact or worry on the performance, 
I mean, more than anything, we're worried more about file sizes now because you've got, you know, it, how many 8K textures can you put in before you start to end up with a game that's like 30 terabytes or something and people aren't going <laughs> to aren't going to want to download it. So, yeah, I mean, but but that's the thing. It's that like there there is going to be an interesting way that, you know, are we going to go for these more photorealistic games now? And will will the actual old style of building games in some way change now that things have evolved? Because that sort of game-like look maybe doesn't have a purpose anymore. Well, I don't know. I agree. I had the same feeling when I was looking at the at the bridge in uh, Quixel Bridge in an Unreal Engine Five. Mm. Um, they were doing a lot of stuff with that uh, with all all the library, which is incredibly robust and huge, and there's so much stuff there that I mm. thought, well. Maybe they don't need to do like blockouts anymore. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they just yeah. just grab stuff from there and just. Well, the interesting thing about that demo is the they they don't even have a landscape in that demo. Like they like I've I've gone into the the demo scene and looked through it, and it's literally just like mega scans assemblies. They they're calling them mega mega assemblies, basically where they've taken all these little tiny assemblies, put them all together into, I think, like basically blueprint actors. And and then they just scatter those and, and you know, manually place those throughout the world. And it's like, yeah, they basically managed to, to build the whole world that way. I think what you said about the size is very interesting because it's something that's been kind of lurking uh, for for a long time, and games were kind of getting bigger and bigger. Hmm. And um, I think it, like last year, in twenty twenty, the year where we all stayed back home, <laughs> one game in particular kind of stood out in terms of its sheer scope. And I think that was uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. That hmm. was like a that was like a very big technical step. Mm. which touched like on a lot of different elements and that they had like photorealistic uh, land basically where you were flying above and all of that was kind of streamed from somewhere ai augmented <clears throat> there were like so many things happening and i'm wondering if this if this step from unreal engine 4 to unreal engine 5 where everything is kind of like becoming five million times bigger would kind of push streaming more because mm. you wouldn't i mean I, I can't imagine a future where you would have like what do you need like you have like a service station back home to play a, a, another ps ps5 game right mm. or how does it how is it going to work do you think it's going to change the way we play in, in in a way yeah it's interesting because it's sort of like i mean they I guess you're sort of touching on the remote gaming thing, right? Like on live yeah. and Otoy and they, you know, there were, there were those three competitors back in the old days, I think it was like 2010 or so. And they, they basically were duking it out and thinking that there was another one called Gaikai as well. Um, I mean, and they were basically Sony, like, Sony bought Gaikai, right? Haven't they? I think, I think, I think so. so. Yeah. It, but but it was like they even back then they were kind of like thinking maybe we can do this remote gaming thing, um, but for some reason that didn't work out. And I I guess it was a kind of combination of things that kind of killed it. Um, 
I mean, Otoy pulled out and, and they didn't even do it in the end. Um, they went on to do other crazy stuff that's just really high end. Like they've got Octane Renderer and um, they, they're doing more like rendering side of things. Um, and, and, you know, and then, and then they have OnLive that basically really just failed. Like it just didn't work out because internet speeds, I guess, weren't yeah. really good enough. Um, or was their streaming algorithm algorithm wasn't really there yet. Um, but you know, I, whatever it is, it was a combination of things that basically meant that that didn't work out. But the, the interesting thing about today is that from, you know, if you look at it from the streaming algorithm point of view, you know, if we look at like, even what NVIDIA are doing for like video calls, you know, mm -hmm. that stuff has gotten so good. If you look at what DLSS is now, the capability of, you know, sending a, an, an image across a network and then up-resing it on the other side has become so much better. And almost like this idea of creating a super resolution. And even UE5 has a sort of screen space-based quality feature built into it uh, that basically allows you to dial down the screen space and it will somehow even with like half the resolution of pixels still manage to blow up the image and make it look good. Um, so, so it is going to be interesting to see that like, yeah, our servers aren't going to be as taxed because we're going to be able to run, you know, Lumen and Nanite on the server side. And then also we're possibly even able to stream, you know, send over a 720p yeah. render, blow that 720p render up into 1080p 4k. And, uh, you're basically well on the road to having remote gaming actually function. Yeah. I think, I, I think I totally now agree. more than ever. Yeah. I think it's like the, I didn't have this thought before we started having this conversation today. I thought that most of streaming was kind of like a gimmick, but mm -hmm. um, now you kind of have the, you kind of have the speed that is required, not everywhere, but in, in some places at least. And at the same time, you have the technology that kind of sh can show you this next gen. And uh, in my opinion, it's got it's all going to be like uh, bits and pieces are gonna fit together. You're, you're still gonna download your game, you're still gonna run it, but maybe parts of it are gonna be, you know, doing some streaming or mm. maybe some elements are going to go online or something, but it's just inevitable. I don't, I don't see myself mm. like- It's also that thing of like, you know, like in Unreal's demo, they they wanted to push this already, which is that all these assets are film assets. Every asset in there is is eight K texture. You know, every every single piece of this robot is fifty million polygons. You know, they they are film assets through and through. And that's the thing is that like if we can get it to the point where even our local machines can run this kind of film quality thing, if a normal yeah. household computer, that actually means that it, it works server side as well, because it means that a single GPU on a server side can run this, which is awesome because it's, you know, it's, it's going to save tons of processing power. Like you don't want it to be that you need five GPUs to run one person's game. You still want it to be that one GPU is there. You just want it to be that the GPU is in a data center rather than at somebody's, you know, workstation physically. I mean, it's all going to be about who can sell what <laughs> after all, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all about like what who's going to benefit. But 
still, it's a very interesting thing. Anyway, I think we dig digress from the uh, the thing. So apart from the graphical stuff in uh, Unreal Engine Five, they only sh they also showed like a couple of elements which were more on a technical side, and uh, I'd still argue that they are kind of like all um, connected with graphics, but still. So one of them were those game feature plugins. Um, are those the kind of things where you basically uh, basically group everything together that's kind of working and for one feature or for the other or for one game element? Do you think it's valuable for the developers who are actually doing the actual game production? Yeah, I think so because th this is always the issue that you have when you know with game engines and you know, I used to work with you know different game engines. I've worked with you know. Bohemia's engine a bit, you know, I worked with CryEngine for a long time and I've kind of seen the way that these things get developed. And, you know, what tended to happen is that over time, uh, things do become bloated and yeah. things become connected to other things. And it basically ends up that there is no, in no, there's no sort of modularity to things. And so if you can find ways to make things modular, you can find ways to make things individual plugins, and then that plugin contains everything needed to do a certain thing. And if you don't need it, you can just turn it off, and then it's not going to it's not going to have anything to do with your project. It's not going to affect anything in your project. That's the dream, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And and so so like the plugin approach, you know, if I could have it my way, I would make it that everything in the engine is a plugin, including even like the renderer itself like every every single little aspect of the engine could be a plugin and then you could just plug and play but obviously this is something that's very very hard and generally it's not the way that games game engines get developed right they usually end up be, basically being iterative developments based on something that was successful like 20 years ago and yeah nobody wants to perform a rewrite you know from scratch so yeah it's but it's what's interesting about these engines now is that like a lot of the code is getting refactored. Um, and I, I think like, you know, like back talking about CryEngine again, like CryEngine's code has basically been almost completely refactored from CryEngine 3 to CryEngine 5. Mm -hmm. And similar thing happened with Unreal Engine 3 to Unreal Engine 4. It was basically completely rewritten. And it was kind of like the only way uh, to proceed. Of course, they're, they're copying and pasting some aspects of the code from before. They're not, you know, starting from complete scratch. But that's how you end up with something that's that's super clean. Uh, is is revisiting the previous thing and then kind of refactoring it all. Yeah, I think we'll hear more from people who are gonna uh, kind of check out the code and play around with it to see what's going on, like behind the scene with all the Unreal Engine Five goodness. But Joe, I also had one more question because knowing that you're you've done a lot of cinematics mm. and uh, been working a lot on them, um, even if you look at the first shots of the interface, they're mm. like cinematics are there like at the top. Yeah. Basically, there is a game, and then there is like the cinematic. Oh yeah. So yeah. What do you think they're uh, they're trying to do there? Is this because they've been pushing this around like for a while for like doing the ILM? kind of work they're working with tv i mean what's going in that direction well i mean this is the thing there is a there is a massive incentive for game engines to get into hollywood um 
back when I was working at Crytek, we had the Cinebox uh, film engine. Like we were basically trying to get into the film industry back then. Um, now, obviously, it's like something that's incredibly difficult. But this is really like the direction Epic are pushing in now is, you know, like Rebirth, for instance, the focus of yeah. Rebirth was like, we're going to make something that looks like a movie. It's got to look like a, you know, something that could have been uh, a photographer or video videographer's showreel, you know, promotional showreel that you show at the Super Bowl or something um, for a trailer, for a, a movie, for something that's that's going to be real. And and like if we don't get to that quality, then it's like, well, it's not going to impress anybody kind of thing. This, this is the thing. There is there is a great incentive to go into Hollywood. There's a great incentive to get Hollywood to kind of come around to a line of thinking, which is that mm -hmm. real time is a better way to work. And I think like the the Mandalorian is just the beginning. Like it's going to be the now we've got like a few studios looking at this and saying, okay, this is basically this is viable. Uh, yeah. More and more people in the film industry are going to come in and start going. Actually, this workflow works better than traditional matte painting. And why are we why are we spending all of this money, you know, going into a real move, you know, a real set, or you know, basically yeah. filling out a studio with all of this crazy, you know, cut, you know, physical physical props that that take so much time and effort to create? Why aren't we just doing this in a volume, an LED? I agree. You know? I agree. It's it seems like. Um... Like my um, like higher bet, like if you think of it like in a in a very long term kind of thing, mm. it would make sense that, especially Hollywood's going into this uh, kind of wild ride, like Disneyland kind of adventure park direction, mm. where you have a lot of visual effects and game and and movies are kind of like Avengers and all that stuff. A lot of CGI films. Those are kind of the films that are getting the most of the box office anyway. And to have those tools available, I think it makes a whole world of difference for both big studios and small studios. Because Absolutely. Imagine like uh, indie productions. Well, they can it's, really level up with this. It's this great thing where what what is built for the big studios initially is only going to benefit the small indies and the solo yeah. filmmakers. The guy that just wants to build uh, a project on his own computer, he just yeah. wants to, you know, get himself uh, a very very small amount of motion capture data and just you know work on some little short film or something like that. Eventually, I'm pretty sure that people will be able to build entire movies with something like MetaHuman. They will be able to capture themselves, record their vocals, record their their uh, their acting and and exact movements, and then be able to flesh out a complete story. Uh, and it'll start yeah. very slow. It'll start with people doing their own previs um, and getting to sort of like this previs yeah. quality. Uh, but there is nothing to stop it from becoming easier and easier and easier. Uh, and yeah. I think the good thing about that is that it kind of takes some of the i mean it's not that hollywood is a bad thing necessarily but i think it would definitely not be a far you know it wouldn't be crazy to say that hollywood's sort of regurgitating a lot of the same ideas and they don't really have a lot of fresh blood 
in that way. Every Hollywood movie that's very successful now is either a sequel or it's something that came from something else or it's a book or, you know, it's there's always a sort of subject matter where it kind of, it grew from and it, it never kind of comes from this kind of crazy original place. Whereas if you look at movies in the past, if you look in the 80s and, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s movies, you see so much creativity and originality in those films. Um, and, you know, t taking taking from a book, you know, it's all great, you know, but where, you know, every once in a while, I, I would love to see a movie that's like Primer, you know, where it's like yeah. a couple of guys made that movie in their garage and it's a crazy time travel story or something and it just blows everybody away. And it's like, it's just because those guys were smart and they had a cool idea, wrote an awesome script and had the ability yeah. to follow through. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the whole stuff that Epic is doing in all of those directions, they actually have a chance to kind of move more into Hollywood, mm -hmm. definitely destroy the game market because uh, that's what they're kind of after with this mm -hmm. kind of level of visual fidelity. I don't know another technology that you could use to build something like this at the mm -hmm. scale like and so fast you know yeah it's 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 definitely an interesting time and all the stuff that they're doing with animation tools as well like yeah. you have the rig and you can animate everything inside well that's the crazy thing is that you can model in the unreal engine 5 you can animate yeah with the control rig in unreal engine 5 so it's like they're sort of getting to this point where okay well if i can model with quad topology right there in the engine and like hit a button and you know i i mean to, and to be honest even you can even do to some extent the texturing maybe not full on like going crazy with uv maps and things but you know I, like a in my brushified uh, packs i have these design packs basically and mm -hmm. with those i include a, a shader that basically works based on local alignment so what it means is that you don't need to have uvs it will basically just project. Uh, it's almost like triplanar projection. Like it'll project texture from all different sides, and in the end, you know, it's it's uh, it's got some limitations, but you pretty much can just like throw brick onto an object, and you will get bricks on that object. You can throw grass onto there, and it will become grass. And you don't really have to worry about UVs at that point. You can just model yeah. freely in the in the editor and and watch as. You know, if, if I extend this brick wall, the brick wall will just extend. And you can really take this to crazy le next level, really. And uh, and then, you know, virtually you're not leaving the engine for anything. You're not having to go to Blender or 3D Max or Maya. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was my thought. So if you think strategically, if like what, I mean, we're, we're, we're just kind of throwing ideas here. We're just thinking it's not that they think this this the same way. But if you think strategically, it basically means that you have one tool that can basically do anything, mm -hmm. and they are providing it for free, for free, <laughs> right, to anyone. And what it does, first, it decreases the number of people that actually need, are required to build a game, right? Because mm -hmm. if you actually can do everything in one, place and eventually they will get rid of UVs and all that kind of technical stuff in gibberish. Yep. Basically you need 
and they also show how the, you can mix your own sound effects in Unreal Engine or whatever. It was just like, basically everything's done in one package. Everything works together very well because it's all in one package, very mm -hmm. robust. It means that you would eventually get more games from more companies and companies are gonna get smaller. And uh, this would increase the chances of them producing more games and more games eventually means more profit for Epic, right? Because they're gonna make a commission on every sale. So from business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. They're basically building a, this kind of, the, the engine that is a, the pipeline, that everything's in it. Yeah, there's there's no no real stoppers or blockers anymore in, in that way. Yeah. Um, it's 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 gotten to this yeah this next level um i also think that the the other thing that a lot of people you know everyone's kind of aware that the unreal marketplace exists but i think what's crazy is that the there is i still i think there is a, a hugely untapped power in the unreal marketplace especially considering that um i have it on good authority that they they will be making some big improvements to that thing soon so we're gonna see how it goes but basically they you know they have this uh you know anyone can go and they can submit their content to it right anybody can actually go there and build a whole business on the unreal marketplace um where you can kind of interact with an audience of you know you're a developer and you're interacting with your audience of customers and your mission is to appease those customers and make sure your thing works but I, I do think there's still so much room for that to grow because like for instance now with with brushify um i'm using you know uds a lot the ultra dynamic sky a lot and i'm using the voxel plugin a lot and you know when you combine those things together the results are absolutely insane but this is the thing is that what i would love is if there were ways to more easily make it possible to merge all this stuff together to be able to do like collaborations with other sellers or you know to you know if i want to basically make a project that's um my project and the voxel plugin project and the ultra dynamics guy together that maybe the yeah. three of us can come together and have a little deal and epic will yeah. split the royalties between us and so on and that you know that would in that would create then these insane sort of master projects where you you as an end user can just jump in load something up and you'll get all of these incredible plugins already done for you already ready to go and you can learn from them that way um and, and i guess that's the kind of thing that's kind of untapped right now is that all of this really amazing value exists there are great shaders on the marketplace there are great sky systems and lighting systems and particle effect systems and all this stuff um but you still have to do the job of sort of manually combining this yourself so I think Epic do a great job with their example content, um, but there's still just not really enough of it. And that's the that's the part that Unreal Marketplace can kind of fill the gaps in. I think this is an amazing idea, like packaging all of the stuff related, and uh, then you can actually marry it with the people who know how to use it. And basically you can build games even faster. Or, or games or films or whatever yeah. they're trying or, to build. I, I think I think another thing that's interesting is that like with, with Brushify, I had the experience that a lot of the people aren't exactly building games. What they love to do 
is just to create environment art, just to create scenes, just to kind of build a little world of their own that they can run around in and take screenshots of. And maybe they're just rendering a 3D model and they want to have a really nice little environment to throw that model into. And for them, it's worth just going onto the store and you know buy a pack and, and download it and throw their model in there, make some nice renders. And that's kind of like a different way of looking at it in a way that it's it's more of a sort of a creative thing which i think kind of yeah. taps into into the human art, artistic side right we always have people who are painters we always have people that are sculptors and i think it's almost like this is a new form of that in a way i think it's a it's actually where the things are kind of moving and going because um if you hear all those talks about like the metaverse and all those other things, mm. and you remember all those experiments that companies are trying to do that, that like with dreams on uh, yeah. PlayStation, that's basically what they're trying to do. They're trying to give you like a canvas and you go and you start building whatever. It's not a game. It's like your place where you do whatever you want to do and you just hang there, you know, explore yeah. and so on. So in, in a way, What's happening is that a lot of people are actually, as you said, they're kind of, kind of gravitating toward this creative process where it's it's like a painting. You're just doing this for the sake of you, and you want to show it. Maybe they will kind of build tools to kind of, you know, elevate all the stuff that people are creating. Maybe help them monetize it in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that potentially could be done with it. So. Um, Joe, I really uh, want to thank you for this conversation. It was amazing. First of all, it was great talking to you after such a long... Yeah, uh, I think where we are right now, basically, we'll just wait and see. Mm. The current Unreal Engine 5 is amazing, obviously, and I think it's going to get better. And uh, But what kind of strikes me most is that the sheer speed that they're uh, uh, kind of the evolution is happening absolutely like it, it it is crazy it is it doesn't fast. feel like it doesn't feel that long ago since 2019 and it it just yeah. feels like the world has changed everything has changed since then um but like mm. yeah it's not going to be much longer before we have you know photorealism is going to become like the 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 bar <laughs> yeah. they just released mass effect like remake or something, which was built with Unreal Engine three. Mm. If you download it and you play it, it's kind of it, it looks okay. Mm. It's not horrible, <laughs> but now you have at this the same year you have Unreal Engine five, which is like, yeah. So w what are we going to have in another ten years? It's just I don't even know. Anyway, all right, Joe. Thank you so much. Um, We'll add all the links to the description so you can check out Joe's stuff uh, and download it. Thank you so much. We'll keep in touch and see Great what talking the, to you, man. the stuff kind of what's going to happen next. Right. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. See ya. Bye bye. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP 
and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.